Welcome to 20 Not Something, the podcast for 20-somethings who haven't quite figured out what their something is yet. Each week, I'll be speaking to a different guest about their experiences of this messy decade to reassure you that everything turns out all right in the end. Because doing something in your 20s can actually mean doing anything that makes you happy. This series of 20 Not Something is sponsored by Swirls and Curls your go-to luxury baked goods brand. Any of you who know me well will understand my infatuation with cakes and cookies. But what's even more impressive is when a brand can deliver top quality first-class products which still taste fresh and delicious with a warm home-baked touch. Swirls and Curls is a small business run by the lovely Kirsty, and her beautifully decorated cakes and sugar cookies are the perfect gift for a partner, friend, family member or for just treating yourself. They are incredible value for money, look fantastic and taste even better. Head over to Swirls and Curls on Instagram to feast your eyes and stomachs on their wide range of products and go and spoil yourselves and your loved ones this month with some truly tasty treats. Today I am joined by television director Ben Hardy. Ben's childhood dream was always to become an actor. However, while at university, he quickly realised that his real passions came in the form of organising balls and events, and the only part he really enjoyed about his course was the film and TV module. So, after graduating, decided then and there that that was exactly what he was going to pursue. However, it wasn't really as straightforward as all that. Ben quickly realised that this wasn't the easiest of industries to crack, and instead ended up with red raw fingers from tying balloons at the Balloon and Kite Emporium in Earlsfield, before then moving on to work in a handbag shop in Kingston. Not quite the glamorous telegigs he had in mind. But then, by a stroke of luck, or in Ben's case, someone who knew someone who knew someone who knew someone, he managed to get a job at Sky, where he worked as a barcoder for six months. For the millennials listening to this, that was the guy who programmed the tapes to come out on TV at the right time. During this time, Ben's relationship with his long-term girlfriend came to an end, and unfortunately for him, she also worked in the same department. Awkward. (laughs) Ben moved over to become a VT operator on Sky Sports and Sky News, where he spent the next five years working his way up the ranks. In his mid-twenties, Ben was given an exciting opportunity in the form of working on one of the biggest shows to ever hit British television. Think Love Island equivalent of the noughties. I am, of course, talking about Big Brother. A previous colleague of Ben's was working on the show, and by the third series was looking for directors. Knowing just how much Ben loved the show and that his enthusiasm and knowledge of it had in fact helped her get the gig in the first place, she offered the job to him. It was a huge decision for Ben at the time, sacking in the comfortable Sky job with the monthly paycheck, pension and security for a precarious freelance career. Everyone thought he was mad, including his boss, who said he'd be begging for his job back. However, the heart wants what it wants and determined to prove them all wrong, Ben went on to direct on Big Brother and never looked back. Ben has since worked as a director on some of the UK's biggest shows, from The X Factor and I'm a Celeb to This Morning and The Circle. Despite a thoroughly successful career in TV and becoming series director of his favourite show by the time he hit 30, Ben recognises that perhaps striving and working endlessly for a thriving career left him negating other elements of his life in the form of relationships, travel and perhaps most importantly, sleep. In his words, looking back on it now, I did make many sacrifices for my career in my 20s, but I love my job and the decision I made in my mid-20s turned out to be the best decision of my life. Ben, welcome to 20 Not Something. Thank you. I'm blushing. (laughs) (laughs) Um, 
glad I told you the bit about my love life being a disaster. That's starting it off on the right foot. <laughs> <laughs> well, we're all about honesty here, so I can't wait to get into it all. <laughs> but um, I'm going to ask you the question which I ask everyone to start with, and that is, when you were looking into your 20s decade, can you remember what the one thing you wanted most was? Yeah, I've been thinking about this, and I think it was probably to stop being a financial burden to my mum and dad, because um, they sort of supported me all through my childhood, obviously, like everyone's parents do, and um, they paid for me, um, didn't pass my 11 plus, so they paid for me to go to a private school, and it left them pretty broke, they couldn't really afford it. So I think when I hit my 20s, I just wanted to be happy doing a job that I wanted to do but also to be earning my own money rather than leeching off my mum and dad any longer <laughs> yeah fair I hear that <laughs> is that why you sort of veered away from acting then because I mean starting off as an actor is not exactly the easiest of uh, paid positions I loved it I, I loved acting all through my childhood I was always like the lead role in the school play and I went to an amateur dramatics club when I was younger and I really loved it and it was all I wanted to do at uni um but I just the course I just it was when I got there it was all theory and that's not really for me and I'm much happier if I'm doing something practical and it just quickly became apparent that course wasn't what I was expecting it to be um and then yeah I got voted onto the student union and started doing entertainment and uh and that's what I loved I loved organizing the weekly disco and the comedy nights and the summer ball and and I thought, that's this is what I want to do. I don't want to be on stage. I'd rather be doing something behind, you know, off stage or, as it turns out, behind the camera. So mm. I guess that's where it came from. And you just you just want to – I find I think it's difficult when <clears throat> you're making a lot of big life choices when you're in your late teens about what you want to do. And you base your career – your degree choice on decisions you're making when you're sort of – from as early as 16 when you choose your A-levels. So I think that it's hard because by the time you might not be until you've finished your degree and you're sort of 21, 22, that you go, oh, actually, I didn't really want to do that. Mm-hmm. So I think I always knew the sort of industry I wanted to be in, but I just didn't know where I'd end up. And I'm so happy I am where I am. <laughs> well, that's good. Did you know we actually did the same degree? Exactly. Did we? Yeah, English and drama. Ah. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, Interesting. Yeah. So <laughs> you graduated, then obviously you went on to work at the balloon shop, which I'm so oh, yeah. Um, and I think it's important to raise because so many people, when they graduate uni, expect to go into these high flying jobs and almost make the most of the further education that they've had, and that's mm. very, very rarely the case um, for a lot of graduates, anyway. Um, and I'm curious as to whether you felt that pressure when you were in those jobs, which were not really at all related to the degree that you'd done. Oh, I definitely did. I, when I graduated, a lot of my friends all ended up working for things like uh, British Telecom and uh, recruitment agencies and stuff. And they were suddenly earning like pretty good money. But I just knew that it wasn't the sort of thing I wanted to do. Um, and short of I knew I knew that I by the time I graduated I knew I wanted to work in TV and I didn't know exactly what I wanted to do in TV but I knew I had to get there somehow and I I just the thought of sitting behind a desk all day just didn't interest me whatsoever so Mm -hmm. 
I ended up being broke. <laughs> um, so yeah, I, I got my balloon job, which was fun for about the first six hours. And then <laughs> my fingers started bleeding from tying up 500 balloons um, at some event in town. So I left oh. that. And then at the time I was desperate and my girlfriend worked in Athena in Kingston, probably a bit old, that shop for all your, your listeners, but, um, used to sell posters and cards. Um, and she said, Oh, do you want me to take your CV around some shops? And I was like, yeah, yeah. And she, I got a call from game and I went in for an interview and they said, Oh, why do you want to work at game? And I actually said in the interview, Oh, I don't, I've just graduated and I'm really broke and I need, I just need a job. (laughs) and funnily enough I didn't get that job (laughs) that's that's so strange and then the next person who phoned me was a a shop called Gulliver's that I'd never heard of and I turned up for my interview and I walked in the front door and it was handbags and then a few suitcases at the back and I was like oh what has she done and I had (laughs) I had my interview but I learned from my lesson and they said why do you want to work at Gulliver's I said oh I really want to get into retail management I've done my degree. I'm really excited about working in with people and in shop. And they said, oh, that's brilliant. We're part of the Mr. Minute group, one of the biggest retail groups in the world. And we can send you on all these courses. And I was in my head going, oh, no, what have I done? But I got the job. So I yeah. did that for a bit and then uh, managed to escape. Not, I think probably about six months later, I managed to escape and got my, my in at Sky. Yeah. Tell me about being a barcoder then. What, what even is that really well it goes back to the olden days emma when um everything used to be on tape and so what they used to do is wheel trolleyfuls of tapes into me and uh i would have to sit there for 12 hours so i did 12 hour day shifts for two weeks and then 12 hour night shifts for two weeks and i basically have to put the tape in a machine find the in point and press enter so that it that on the time code and then i'd find the first commercial break press enter and then the next, and you just basically put in all these different points on the program and including where they could start doing voiceover over the end credits. And then once you've finished all that, you printed a barcode, stuck it on the tape, put it on, the, put it on a shelf and then did the next one. And you just did it for 12 hours. And then when your trolley's full, you wheeled over and they put the tapes in the machine. It reads the barcode and then plays it out at the right time. So that was my first job in telly. Not wow. quite what I was expecting, but... <laughs> Hey, <laughs> but even now when I tell people I work in telly they're like oh that's so cool and I'm like mm. I mean it sounds really glamorous but little do they know you know <laughs> and um but I mean it was a starting point wasn't it tell oh, me yeah. about um when you you were you were working there for six months and then you said that your like long-term relationship came to an end as so many do in the in the early 20s mm-hmm. I wondered if you mind talking a little bit about um how you navigated that breakup, especially as she was in the same department as you. Yeah, not very well is the answer. Mm-hmm. Um, we, yeah, I've been with her since we got together at the end of my first year at university. So we were together for three years, and I don't. I still to this day don't. I'm I'm still in touch with her, um, not that often, but I've never asked her, and I should find out. But somehow she managed to get a job in my department at Sky. I don't know if she found my boss's name out and I don't know how it happened but she started there and she was my runner um and then she but then they put her on the completely opposite shift so on the days that I had off she was working and we'd split up a few times and it just got to a point and we 
she ended it i was devastated mm. and um i basically said to my boss I've, I've got to leave i can't work in the same department i know she's not here on my work days but people are talking about her and i said i've just got to leave and luckily they were starting up sky sports news and my boss said to me well we've got a new channel starting we'll get you out other side of the building and do you want to go and work in there and then that's how it happened really i i moved over to sky sports news and by that point i wasn't barcoding anymore i was playing out the vts so um all the news reports and stuff and i did that for about three years before they moved me to sky news that's lucky you got to move across yeah (laughs) very awkward otherwise yeah (laughs) you said in your note as well that um freelancing you know later on in your 20s made it nearly impossible to meet someone and I just wanted to ask you about what your experience of dating in your 20s was like in general like looking back on it my experience of dating in my 20s was miserable uh apart from Sarah who I split up with when I was 22 I had I did have a girlfriend for about a year but I don't I don't, looking back on it, I don't really see how we were boyfriend and girlfriend. We just met up every now and then and had a drink, but we didn't really do anything. So, um, and apart from that, it just seemed to be unrequited love. I, I just fall in love with someone who didn't like me. Um, mm. and, but yeah, freelancing is difficult. I mean, lots and lots of things about freelance work is difficult, but when you're doing these shows where you're sort of jumping around for, you might do three months on one job and then a week on another you you're meeting new people all the time which might sound perfect for finding a new partner but in my experience because I'm not very it takes me a bit of time to feel comfortable to ask someone out for example so I always felt that I was chasing my tail a bit in terms of my love life Mm -hmm. 20s weren't weren't the happiest time um and I lived with another guy from university who luckily he had exactly the same as me so we were just miserable in love together (laughs) oh no but it is it's so hard and I don't think it's spoken about enough because it's just feeling like you should be with someone you know Mm. and that's like what everyone seems to be searching for is this partnership and don't get me Mm. wrong they're great but there is a lot of pressure on young people to partner off especially when you start hitting your mid-20s because all of a sudden everyone's talking about marriage and it's like wait hang on a minute we're still like babies what yeah oh no I agree and I I think the other thing for me I mean I'm obviously a bit older than you and um but I my parents got married when they were 26. I know they had me when they were 26. So I think they got married two years before that. So they were 24 when they got married. And so yeah, 26, they had me 28. They had my brother. And then suddenly you're in your head, I think because you compare yourself to your parents. And I was always had this pressure thinking, I always thought I'd be married and have kids by the, by definitely by the time I was 30. Mm. Um, so yeah, there is a bit of pressure on yourself, but then, you know, I, I, I can tell you now that I, it's, it's not easy. And I've, I've it took me till I was 40 until I finally found someone that I, I've settled down with and we got engaged last year. So yeah, I think it's, you know, it's just, it's a difficult thing at any time of your life, to be honest, but yeah, mm-hmm. there's a lot of pressure in your twenties. Are you happy though now with retrospect that you have found that later on? Like, yeah, I am. More ready for it. Yeah. I am, but I think 
obviously the older you get the more pressure there is in another way mm-hmm. so mm-hmm. like i for example me and my fiance we really want we'd love to have a baby and but i've never wanted to be the old dad and mm-hmm. you always think oh by the time they're 16 i'm going to be early 60s and you know so you, there's pressure in different ways and then obviously you know when you're younger it's it's just difficult the whole yeah. time it's difficult but yeah. now i'm really happy and you know I've, I've met someone i really love and yeah we're settling down we will hopefully have a baby and Aww. so it would have been lovely to have done it earlier but i didn't meet her earlier so you know yeah. you can't you can't complain really you can't and you can't plan for this stuff either and it's amazing that's happened for you now um Let's talk about Big Brother then, because obviously it was huge when it came out in the noughties. Um, what was, uh, yeah, tell me about the story with um, the ex-colleague that you have who actually ended up giving you the opportunity. Yeah, well, basically, I really, when I was at Sky, what was brilliant about those five years at Sky was that it got, I knew I didn't want to be a VT operator, but I didn't really know what I wanted to be. I didn't know if I wanted to be a producer or a director a vision mixer so what that five years gave me was five years of working in a live tv studio mm. and i got to look at all these different jobs and i decided that i wanted to be a director but at sky back then you had to there was a route you had to take to become a director and that involved being a vision mixer for a few years so a vision mixer is the person who sits next to the director who cuts between all the different cameras and um and the vts and stuff like that so I started training in my own time, going in on my days off and learning how to vision mix because I thought that was my route. And then a freelance director who I had worked with in Sky Sports um, called me one day and said, oh, look, I've got, a, I've got an interview for this Big Brother show that I know you love because I was obsessed with the first series of Big Brother. Mm-hmm. And she said, but I never watched it. Would you be able to like tell me a bit about it? So I spent like an hour on the phone to her telling her all about the show how it worked and she got the job as senior director on big brother 2 and then a year later i went to my great uncle's funeral and when i came out i had a voicemail on my phone and i was in the back of my mum and dad's car and i listened to it and it was that director who had phoned me and said oh look i need directors for big brother 3 um i know you've always wanted to direct um the job's yours if you want it told me how much the money would be which was I mean on another planet compared to what I was earning at Sky mm. but the the downside was that it was freelance so I would be leaving my safe and secure job at Sky like you said in your lovely intro mm-hmm. um to go into this world of unknown which is like it was a sort of I think a th- just short of three month contract it would be my first directing job and directing Big Brother, that sort of directing is very different to say a studio show. So it's quite a unique skill. So I had to weigh up the fact that I wouldn't just finish Big Brother and then end up walking in and directing all these different things because it's different skill. Mm. But when mum and dad said to me, look, you've got to take the chance. It's your favorite show. You know, we'll support you as much as we can. You know, you've got to do it. So I phoned her back, Penny, the director, and I said, I'd love to do it. And I left Sky. And like you said, my boss said, you'll be back begging for your job. And I was just determined not to have that happen. And I started at Big Brother. It was the 
Big Brother 3, so it's the Jade Goody series, the first series. Um, and I just, I just loved it. And although I, I did start panicking about what I was going to do next, but then luckily, because Big Brother was such a smash, all these new shows were coming along. There's one called The Salon, which I loved, which was basically filming in a hair salon. Um, it was sounds a bit weird now, but it was such a good show. It was mm. six o'clock at, at night on Channel 4, half an hour, just watching people have their hair cut. It was really fun. <laughs> sounds boring. But the games, all these different fame academy and all these different shows that I ended up moving on to. Yeah. Yeah. And, yeah, and it just all came off the back of that one decision when I was about mm. what, 20, 25-ish. I can't remember, something like mm. that. Um, when I just took the plunge. Do you believe in fate? Mm. I don't really know. Mm. Just because when the fact that, you know, Penny that went for this interview and that you helped her prepare for that and then a year later came back to you mm. and everything sort of came full circle, which is really like, oh, going to use a big word here, serendipitous. Whoa. Okay. Yeah, I love that word. So I really wanted to use Great it. Great word. Like, <laughs> um, but you know what I mean? Like, everything sort of came full circle and I don't personally believe in fate because everything that you've done up to, up to that point was obviously, you know, you were putting the hours in, you were working as a vision mixer, you were trying to make that happen for yourself. But I think mm. one thing that's quite common in this industry is a need to be in the right place at the right time. Um, and I yeah. personally felt like starting out in telly, someone would say that to me and I'd feel, it made me feel really precarious because you don't really feel like you're necessarily in control of your future. Mm. Um, and I wondered whether you ever felt like that. I, I can tell you one thing, it never gets any easier in, in telly. You've always, I, I still to this day have paranoia about, you know, you don't get off of the job that you did last year and you like, well, did I do something wrong? Because no one tells you. It's mm. just, you know, it's it's a really hard industry to be in. But it's also, yeah, I mean, I think I'd rather than fate, I'd like to think of it as sort of that idea of paying it forward. So, I, I did her a favour and then she's repaid it further down mm. the line. But I think it's it's tricky because there, there's no denying it. I've had strokes of luck all through my twenties with my, with when it came to work. But the other, th- the other side of it is I have to remind myself that I worked hard and I did a good job and that's, mm. you don't, it doesn't matter who you know and it doesn't matter, you know, what you do if you don't do a good job then you're not going to get booked again so Mm. even though I I know that I owe my mum because she knew the guy who knew the guy at Sky to get me that first job and I owe Penny because she got me into Big Brother I like to think that I've done similar things for other people um so yeah I don't think it's fate I think it's just a mixture of good luck and and working hard yeah Yeah, no, I totally agree. And I think also, you know, before you'd hit 30, you were series director of not only your favourite show on telly, but probably the biggest show on British television, um, which is obviously a huge success. Did you recognise that at the time? Um, Because I think it's very easy to set these goals in our heads and then when we get there, we almost want to go on to something else. But was that the case for you? Or did you you sit there and you thought, oh, no, I'm I'm really proud of what I've achieved? Um. Oh, I'm so proud of that. 
that was it was mm. the most amazing thing for me to become series director of of that show which i was absolutely obsessed with it i it was enormous back then in you know mm. the first sort of 10 years of big brother it was huge it was front front page of the newspapers every day it was it was massive and i tell you what there aren't many sh- i mean the day that we i was just going through some photos earlier and you've got nothing else to do in lockdown but clear out my old photos mm-hmm. and i found all the photos of the last day of big brother on channel four um and we were so gutted um and we thought it was all over after 10 years or eight eight years for me but a year later channel four channel five bought it and we did another mm-hmm. sort of eight years on channel five um and there's not many shows on tv apart from soaps um that last that long mm. so i knew it was an amazing <clears throat> show i you know i knew that the popularity had gone down um i also knew that even doing big brother for as long as i did was detrimental to my career in some ways had i moved on from big brother sooner to do more such studio stuff i think i probably would have been doing other stuff now mm. but i wouldn't swap it i i loved my time on that show and it's thanks to that that i got a, all this other work even the stuff i do now is thanks really just to the fact that i did though i did that show and all the people i met doing the show because like mm. you said earlier it's it's sad but it, a lot of telly is who you know and if you work mm. with someone and they like you then they're going to want to work with you again yeah so yeah i mean to be series director of big brother by the time you know before i was 30 was was amazing mm-hmm. i think i think i did realize what a big deal it was but it was just such it gave me seven months work a year and it was just an amazing team of people and just it was a joy to work on no mm. oh, like one big dysfunctional family <laughs> yeah <laughs> like obviously the you hustled continuously throughout your 20s and it clearly paid off in a career sense um do you ever regret not taking time for yourself, for traveling, for sleep, as you said to me? Well, yeah, I mean, the sleep thing, the sleep thing is, is a real pain because like I told when I said about my barcoding days, those shifts were horrific. They were seven, seven at night till seven in the morning for two weeks and then two weeks of seven in the morning to seven at night. But it wasn't a nice big chunk it was two days on two days off three days on two days off so you'd Mm. sort of do two night shifts just get into the swing of it and then you'd be up during the day for two days and then back into nights and i i still think that my inability to sleep is thanks to that so thanks everyone at sky um (laughs) but i don't you know i don't regret it it's just one of those things i just i find i'm luckily i don't feel like i need a lot of sleep um in terms of traveling i don't really know i i do love traveling but i never did that sort of late teens gap year sort of traveling you know thing which a lot of my mm-hmm. friends did i don't think i really regret not doing it because mm-hmm. i just think my priorities were different i i decided to sort of try and secure myself in the industry that i wanted to be in and I did have some holidays. I did I did go on some really good holidays. And then obviously further down the line, I I do things like I'm a celebrity. So I you know, until last year, which the one they did in Wales, which I didn't work on, but before that I did 
the previous 10 years, I'd go out to Australia for six weeks mm. every year. So even though I'm working all the time, I sort of feel like I'm still getting to to go and see some of these places and, you know, yeah. it's not all work. And, you know, mm. I've been to I've been to L.A. I did X Factor in Simon Cowell's back garden a couple of years ago. And so all these different places that I go to with work. I mean, I feel like I'm seeing places now, which is fine because I can actually got a bit more money than I had back then as well. Yeah. So I think I think that's the other thing. In your 20s, it's, you know, you're paying off your student loans. You're you're on a sort of lower paid jobs. And it, it really does. If there's one thing I can say to everyone it's like it, I, I really enjoyed my 20s I really enjoyed my 30s because <laughs> I started earning better money and I paid off some of my debts and and mm. so yeah it's all it's all part of the growing up and learning and learning experience isn't it okay we're getting on to play millennial minesweeper now um, so I'm just going to read you out a few quotes I found that are all about life, essentially. Um, we're okay. just going to have a chat about them. Sound good? All right. Yeah, sounds cool. good. <clears throat> so our first one is perfectionism is our ideal. Oh, sorry. That's so wrong. Good <laughs> start, <again>. Emma. <laughs> perfectionism is our denial of two very basic truths of existence. One, that we are not perfect. And two, that we are not in control. Blimey, start me on an easy one. Uh, read it again. <laughs> Perfectionism is yeah. our denial of two very basic truths of existence. One, that we are not perfect, and two, that we are not in control. They're basically saying, like, those two yeah. things, we're not perfect, we're not in control, but we try to deny those daily. Thanks for dumbing it down for me. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, Oh, well, I, I think I don't think anyone's perfect, mm. um, but I think that I, I don't think I'm perfect. I don't think anyone's perfect, but I do think that you can be in control. Mm. Um, so I, I sort of think a mixture of the two. Really, I think you ultimately do control what happens in your life um, through your choices, mm. um, and you make some good choices and some bad choices. <laughs> Um, but I certainly don't think we're all perfect. Yeah, it's an interesting one. I, I agree with the we are not perfect. The we are not in control thing gets me a lot because I think, I mean, we, we look at the last year, clearly we're not in control as much mm. as we think we are, you know, in that respect. But also, you know, going even back to what you were saying about your career, like, uh, yes, you could say that some of those things happened as a stroke of luck or chance, but also you were in control of the decisions that brought you to that place. Um, yeah. So I think it's a really interesting dynamic mm. of the two. Um, and I always feel like when I believe I'm in control of my life, my quality of life feels better in a way. Oh, definitely. Yeah, I mean, it's the worst feeling in the world when you just feel everything's spiralling out of control and you can't mm. do anything about it, even though I let that happen to me quite a lot. Um, like do your accounts no can't be bothered yeah do that camera plan yeah later but um you get it all done you feel much better (laughs) yeah you can be in control if you choose to be in control but I think a lot of people don't take the easy route (laughs) Mm, yeah 
Very true. Okay, our second one. Oh, this is a lot better. Well, is this easier, easier. to understand? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's only like a few words. <laughs> Falling in love is a feeling, but staying in love is a choice. Oh, mm. that is a tricky one. Um, well, falling in love is definitely a feeling. Mm. I don't know if it is the choice to stay in love. I mean, I've I've been with people, I've been in relationship with people before that people have said to me, "Oh, why didn't you just why didn't you just stay with them? Why did you finish it?" Because I, I wasn't happy, and mm. so. I don't think I had a choice to stay with them and make myself happy. I think if you're not happy with someone, you can't carry on. So falling in love is definitely a feeling, but I think staying in love is also a feeling, in my opinion. Mm, yeah, it's another one which I struggle with a lot because I think, oh, I don't know, there's there's so much out there when it comes to love and relationships and how to make a relationship last. and. I don't know whether I mean clearly it is a choice in some regard because you either choose to work at something or you choose to let it go like you moving away from that true. relationship was a choice true but I do understand what you're saying about it's also a feeling I don't know it's too late in the day but I'm you wouldn't but you wouldn't you wouldn't choose to walk away from something that was good no so if if it was feeling good then you wouldn't choose to walk away from it I suppose is what I the way I'd look at it right um so in order not to, not to choose to walk away from something, you've got to have that feeling. So mm. I'm confusing mm. myself. <laughs> no, but it is. It's confusing. <laughs> <laughs> we'll just move away from it. I can't bother you. <laughs> <laughs> so our last one is you can get everything you want in this world instantly, instant gratification, except for job satisfaction and the strength of relationships. They are slow, meandering, uncomfortable, messy processes. God, that's a bit depressing. Mm. <laughs> um, no, I don't think I agree with that. I don't think. I think you. I don't think you can get everything apart from that. <laughs> you can. It doesn't matter how much I want to be able to run a marathon in under three hours. I, I just physically cannot do it. So even if I want to do it, I can't do it. Mm. Um, I don't know. Yeah, it's I, was, I find these difficult, Emma. I'm not going to lie. <laughs> <laughs> Just spurs on an ex existential crisis, really, doesn't it? <laughs> yeah, great. I'm feeling really depressed now. <laughs> <laughs> no, I think what it's saying is that we live in a world which is fueled with instant gratification. You know, you want something in, on, from the internet, you buy it um, mm. in, the, in a consumerist world, and I think that's why when we're growing up, especially in our early twenties the two things that you cannot get instantly are a good, strong relationship, mm -hmm. whether it's love or friendship, um, and also job satisfaction. Like, um, those are the two things which actually require, you know, a lot of time and patience, which I find quite difficult. <laughs> I guess now you've, now you've put it like that. I, I sort of would tend to agree with that. But like, mm. I need you to dumb these things down for me. I'm just a bit of a thick TV director. <laughs> no not at all not at all <laughs> well, thanks so much ben for coming on it's been so lovely to chat pleasure i hope you've enjoyed yourself and the i really have it. <laughs> i hope i didn't uh go on too much no not at all <laughs> not at all and i'm and, sorry um, i wasn't better at your little game at the end <laughs> i'm not good with tricky things 
thank you so much ben for coming on the show and apologies again for the particularly difficult millennial mind sweep around if you guys at home enjoyed this episode then please feel free to leave us a review on itunes we absolutely love to read them and it helps more people find the podcast as well so it's a win-win really this podcast wouldn't sound as slick as it does without our wonderful composer and producer pete half so a big shout out to pete thank you for working your magic and we'll be back again next week with another brilliant guest so i'll see you very soon